Hey, my name's Louis, and welcome to. I'm just gonna go for it. Hey, I'm Louis, nutritionist and personal trainer, and it's my privilege to welcome you to Between Two Plates, the Strength Vitality podcast, where we discuss everything between gym plates and kitchen plates to do with fitness, nutrition, and mental health. This week, we're joined by nutritionist and personal trainer, the strong, versatile, and powerfully smart Jack Collins. Jack is passionate about nutrition and fitness, and he's the head of programming at the Empowerment Training Center and a qualified MNU nutritionist. Today, we get to dive into practical considerations for muscle gain with Jack, as he lays out comprehensive advice for optimizing muscle gain and provides us with clear structure and answers to many of the questions surrounding this topic. If anyone has any questions relating to any of the topics discussed in this interview, please don't hesitate to contact me at louis at strengthvitality.com. Thank you again, and we really hope you enjoy the podcast. Jack, thank you so much for joining us, dude. Um, this is going to be, I think this is a bit of a sort of a mission for you. You're going to drop some knowledge bombs for everyone listening, uh, some practical considerations, as I think we've titled it. Uh, so we're not just going to be talking airy fair about all the things that you can do, but people listening, you are here to give them uh, advice for what they can implement uh, if their intention is to build muscle. Am I right? 100%, 100%. Yes. And how are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. Not bad. I am very hairy currently. <laughs> yeah. Bearded. And I am excited for the future, but day to day, all I want is a Wagamama's. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing that goes through my mind day to day is how many days before I can have a Wagamama's. And then what, after that, what, it's okay, I eat your future, but you know. What's your, what's your go-to at the Wagamama's? Go-to Wagamama's is a Vagatsu, vegan katsu curry. Uh, that's it, yeah. I don't, I don't even look at, I look at the menu every time I go and then just order that. Yeah. I don't even know why I can, I go there and you have to specifically ask for the vegan and vegetarian menu. I ask for it and then order the same thing every time, which is on the normal menu anyway. Um, what I love about that though, is that you still go there with an open mind. You know what you're choosing, but you still go there with an open mind and, and yet you still choose the same thing. But we are talking absolutely. about that. Have you hit have you hit the thing yet where hair starts to come off your head and then go down onto your face more? I'm like, no, no, stay on my head. I don't <laughs> want to go bald yet. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Like this beard, this lockdown beard. I've I've tackled it a couple of times. But so the world's gone the world's gone mad in lockdown. Like people are hoarding toilet paper. People are also hoarding like male grooming appliances. Like <laughs> I've got I've got like a like a trimmer, but like the um, like the length thing is broken, right. yeah. so it's just now just like nothing, or <laughs> that's it. But I was like, right, I can't go nothing because I look like a four-year-old child. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to like try and strategically just trim bits off here and there and shape up a bit. And then I was like, right, I got to the point. It was like week six. I'm like, right, I've got to buy a shaver. <laughs> Went online, there was none. I was like everywhere sold out of every different type of possible razor you could buy. And I was like, okay, right. What's my plan? I could buy one off Amazon for 150 quid. Usually they're 50. I was like, no, I'm not going to bug myself off. I'm not <laughs> going to give them the satisfaction. Um, and then I finally found, and I finally found one. I was like, oh my God, it's on offer. It's the perfect one I want. I'm going to be beautiful and like trimmed and everything. Uh, it was like, right, it's gonna be there in six days. Week later, 
it was like, right, this is on the, like the 24th of April. Right. It's like, right, it's going to be here on the 17th of May. I was like, oh, no. So I was like, okay, right, I can, I can, I can do it. I can make it last. I'll tidy it up and it'll be fine. <laughs> and then 17th of May rocks around. Oh, it's uh, going to be here on the 31st of May. I was like, oh, my God, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> so I put in a cancellation and I started browsing. And luckily, the one that I originally looked at was like back in stock. And I was like, right, bye, bye. I was yes. like, the last one. The last one. It came in a day. No. Came is here. They so knew. Waiting for me. They knew that and, that beard needed trimming. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, the unfortunate thing is that podcast is now, and I'm going to go home, and I'm going to be like, ah, oh, make myself look beautiful. <laughs> uh, is this going to be? Is this going to be video as well, or yeah. is it just? Yeah, man. Oh, I was never oh, going to give you the heads up on that. I was never going to give you the heads up. You already oh, look better than me. I couldn't get you, let you get further ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, like, well, I would cut it here, start again tomorrow. Yeah. I'll, be like, I'll be new. I'll be new woman. Well, new woman. So, Jack, for um, uh, anyone, I, I had the pleasure of meeting you on MNU. But for anyone who maybe doesn't know what you do and your journey into doing what you are now doing, could you give uh, the the Jack bio? That'd be amazing. Yeah. So, where to, where to begin? I mean, there's not much to tell. To be fair, um, <laughs> yes, there is. We at we actually did uh, like a meet the coaches thing for our members group last week. And it was like, you could literally block, block off the first like 12 years of my life in like two blocks of like six. It was like six years of Pokemon and prawn cocktail, Chris, it was six years of golf. And then it was like me being a PT and going beyond that. But it was like, oh, so the first like 12 years of like five to 17 was just like not a lot it was like golf. pokemon golf <laughs> golf man that is, i did not know about the golf yeah so it was like ex aspiring professional golfer but was never really going to happen looking back but yeah i was i was hopeful for a while um so yeah so like fitness wise um i'm uh, a coach at the empowerment training center in northampton so i'm kind of coach there and then they're head of programming so i write all of the programs for um, the varying types of classes that we have here. Um, as you said, I'm an MNU nutritionist. That's where we met. Um, qualified back in September, uh, end of the course was September, October, but then we graduated in November. Um, and yeah, that's about it, really. That's about it. You're and then kind of, yeah, my like, my kind of areas of expertise, if that's really a thing, is kind of like, like my, my biggest interest as far as training goes is like muscle hypertrophy. That was like my first love of like training. I think it is for like most, unless you're into sports, I think training just to get really jacked is like what most people kind of got into. It's like going in with like your, your friend, just like doing chest every day. I don't know what um, you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I kind of did a couple of years of that and then going to CrossFit and then kind of went kind of through CrossFit classes and things like that. And then, after a couple of years of CrossFit really kind of got into coaching and my coaching started to develop. And then I kind of went down different avenues of just doing weightlifting, just doing gymnastics, just doing bodybuilding again, and kind of learned a lot of things along the way. Um, and then now I'm kind of at a place where I feel fairly confident in my coaching abilities, but yeah, looking to try and get jacked again. <laughs> <laughs> You are a versatile athlete though, right? Like all of those things you've just said, you, are you still keeping them up now? Do they still see? Nah, the nah. Programming? 
Nah, so the my one downfall from my whole like training career, if you like, is is consistency. I've never done anything. I've really had like the shiny object syndrome. It was like started bodybuilding and it was great. And I was like smashed it. I was I followed the programs to the T, ate the calories to the T. Looking back, there was some th- there was some key things that I definitely did wrong, especially from a nutritional standpoint. Not enough calories. Leucine didn't know about it, so there was definitely some holes in kind of my leucine feedings. Um, and then, yeah, kind of after a couple of years of that, went to CrossFit, and then nutritionally got maybe even a bit worse in there. Okay. Um, how long were you vegan then as well? How, how long have you been vegan? For? I think. My second year of CrossFit, probably two, 2016, I think I went vegan. So that was probably like my second year or a year and a half of CrossFit. So it was kind of like there was, a, there was a decrease in specific training volume as far as like there was an increase in cardiovascular work. There was increasing strength-based work, but there was definitely a decrease in consistent training volume from like, I don't know, five to 15 reps. Isolation work was definitely not really there. So right. there was definitely a shift in body composition and skill uh, acquisition like I obviously got more skilled I got more versatile but that took away from my body composition um really um yeah do you okay and then and, and why are you so passionate about talking about practical considerations for muscle gain so like obviously this is something that we were talking about just before we started but the the problem I have with kind of bodybuilding uh like the fitness industry as a whole but more catered towards like muscle hypertrophy training and advice is that no one everyone likes to argue over the details but no one can really provide specific practical uh advice for anyone as we said kind of like some people that i kind of follow is like the guys at rp strength and mike isretel guys that revive stronger which and the Revive Stronger take a lot of their influence from like Mike yeah. and the guys at RP is like what they are trying to do is provide real practical recommendations and considerations for hypertrophy. And everyone loves to hate them for that because they're like, right, you should start <laughs> at 10 sets and then over the course of your mesocycle, whether that's four to eight weeks, whatever it is, you should probably progress a little bit higher in volume towards 20 sets. And everyone's like, I can do more than 20 sets. <laughs> what about me? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not the point. The point is, <laughs> you have this base to work from and they're like right this is how like reps in reserve like this is how far away from failure you should be and this is how you progress that to make you better like strength training there's so like so much concrete information out there of like yeah there's some finite details around it but it's like you start at about 70 percent and uh, like i don't know eight reps and then you work up to 100 plus percent at one rep and there's a very clear progression of the weight goes up, the reps go down, and everyone can kind of get that. And yeah, there's different programming things around that. But when you talk about hypertrophy, everyone's just like, oh, you should all train to failure. And then other people are like, no, you should never train to failure. I'm like, <laughs> okay, so what do I do? And it's like, you just have to listen to someone and do exactly what they say, but you yes. can't take what they're saying and give that to someone else because you there's no real like key principles behind what a lot of these people are saying um so yeah it's kind of like having real practical 
numbers and information and being able to tell people why you're providing those numbers and information Absolutely. and then they can then they can build a program for themselves and then what they need a coach for is to help them manage the finer details yes. of that but if they have if they have this this base understanding of right how many sets should i be doing well i should probably be doing between 10 and 20 sets per body part per week that's a great that's a great start as long as you're doing that cool right should i train to failure well reps from probably four and below away from failure are going to be the most stimulatory. So you should probably be doing that. Anything outside of that is like beyond failure or let or more than four away from failure is, is irrelevant. Make every single one of your sets four or less away from failure. And that's a starting point. Then you've got your volume, you've got your intensity. And then it's like, how many reps should I do? Well, between five and 30. Cool. As long as you're doing all of these things, yeah, man. you're going to get, the results you want and then you can look at managing the finer details um but yeah just really having these practical take-home points that people can actually review what they're doing and be like right do i hit these these principles and these finer points and then you can look to decide if your program's any good or not you can hear your passion coming through and i think that's i, I totally understand that and you can apply that same thing to nutrition it's like if it's like someone gives recommendations that are evidence-based and then you have like someone bit like in the comments like, well, this works for me. It's like, all right, cool. So we will not give anyone recommendations. Yeah. You know exactly. It's like, that's, you're absolutely right. And whether you have a coach or you're regulating yourself, it's amazing to get these practical recommendations, apply them to yourself and then adjust mm -hmm. in your own parameters because so yeah. many things will influence it. Now we're talking about muscle growth. Um, yeah. Jack, let, begin us with like, what can someone expect depending on where they're in, in their, in their training uh, life? What mm. can someone expect muscle growth to be? Is, are we talking like putting on 10 kilos in like a few months or is it like, uh, or are you talking a kilo a year? What, what are these rates yeah. of growth that we could be talking about? So I'm going to start with the, the most hated two words that anyone likes to hear is it <sighs> depends. Oh. As with nutrition, all things nutrition is like it depends. It's I thought like, you were going to say genetic ceiling, and I was like, genetic ceiling. <laughs> that I've, I've got a note of genetics, but it's it's how you apply the genetics to it. So it's like this kind of conversation of how much can I expect to gain? I think for the first like, again, you can't really put concrete numbers on it, but let's say like as a as a just to throw a number out there let's say the first kind of three years of your lifting like your lifting career but of good quality lifting so i think like if you were to talk in like a timeline let's say you've got zero to three years of training you're kind of still a beginner but getting towards intermediate it depends how good your training is at the start like if you literally from the first day of your training got a coach a good coach then you can kind of, you're going to speed up that process because all of the training of that first three years is going to be good quality and you're going to get the best possible results from that. Whereas what most of us do is we kind of have a year or two of just throwing weights around and that's fine. Like you're probably going to get most of the results you ever would have got by just throwing weights around, providing again, you're within these realms of volume and intensity. Yeah. So it's like, okay, on a timescale, zero to three years, it completely depends. It depends on how good your nutrition is. It depends on your genetics, which we'll come on to in a sec. And it depends on the quality of your training. Um, and then let's say five years of actual good quality training, you kind of get to that intermediate stage. 
then you can actually start to put some kind of range on how much you can expect to gain. And then when you're advanced, it's like, yeah, you can really put some pretty concrete numbers on how much you can expect to gain. Like in that first kind of two or three years, it's like genetics is everything. Like if training is fairly equal between two people, the person with the superior genetics will just fly. Like me, the first two years of my training, my training was pretty good. Like it was, it was, I just followed like a typical bodybuilding.com training program. But when you actually look back on it, yeah, it was probably between 10 and 20 sets per week. There was progressive overload. There was a variety of rep ranges. There was all these kinds of things that we would look for in a hypertrophy program. But genetically, and from my upbringing, it, it wasn't happening. Like right. I gained like a couple of pounds. Whereas like when you look at the genetic side of things, like I've got a couple of friends that literally look at a dumbbell and they gain four <laughs> kilos. Like one of my friends was like 67 kilos. He's always at abs. He was just like, like that skinny ripped kid. And now he's like, he was about 60 kilos. About four years later, he's now 80 kilos and still probably 10% body. <laughs> so you're like, what? That's like at least 15 kilos of actual lean tissue in four years. And like, that's like 30 whatever pounds or whatever it is, 30 plus pounds. Wow. You're like, oh yeah, and you're going to gain, and then you get to those intermediate recommendations, like, okay, as an intermediate, someone who's been training consistently well, has been eating protein and calories and whatever, has been doing most of the big rocks well, they are probably looking at two to five pounds a year if they're doing everything well, as well as taking into their genetics. Like, if you are an absolute genetic freak, year five, you've been training well, you could still be gaining five pounds a year. Yeah. Obviously the closer you get to that advanced end and like advanced, I'm kind of classifying maybe 10 solid years of eight plus, but more like 10 plus years of consistent hypertrophy training, good quality training for 10 years. And then you're getting towards that level of advance and you can class yourself on it as, as an advanced athlete. You know what works for you 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 prog pretty good handle on your training and your recovery and your nutrition when you get to that advanced end of the spectrum you're probably looking at like one to two i've put one to three because okay you have to factor in okay are they a genetic freak <laughs> and there's still room for improvement in their training because you could be training for 10 years and be a genetic freak and your training is still not good like it can be good but not great let's say you get someone who's really like advanced, but genetic freak who's not been training perfectly and you tweak their training, all of a sudden they could have a couple of years of that three, that three pounds. Um, but more likely once you've been training for 10 years, you've probably figured some things out and you're probably looking at one to two pounds. Females, it's definitely going to be towards the lower end as well. Um, but yeah, so it's, once you are training well, it's actually saddening when you <laughs> yeah. see all these videos on YouTube and people are like, against 30 pounds of muscle in a year, I'm like, oh, no, you didn't. But you didn't do it drug free. You didn't do it yeah, drug, you didn't free. Do it drug free. Rich, Rich Piana weighs 285 pounds with 10% body fat. I'm going to gain 30 pounds in a month. <laughs> okay. And that's why he's dead. <laughs> 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 um so on that note uh you, you you've referred to good training a couple of times there so like yeah 
even like on both ends of the spectrum. So depending on how good someone's training is when they're younger and then when they're yeah. at, so as, as they're getting older and they've got like a 10 year training edge behind them. What factors yeah. are you talking about in terms of good training? And, are, and does that include programming there or are you talking about the actual yeah. executing the program? Both. Um, so I'd say the, the found, so you've got all of these kind of nice finite details of sets and reps and programming and periodization. The foundation of any training program is effort and execution. It's like effort. Are you actually training hard? Like, are you doing, as I said earlier, which we can touch on a bit later, but like, are you, all of your sets in a hypertrophy program four reps or below from failure, like four, three, two, one, or at failure. Like every set is that that's the effort side of things. Are you, really pushing yourself as much as you can within those kind of confines. Um, and then execution is your technique on point and are you maximizing the work you're actually doing? Um, cause it's like, I think a, a lot of people will kind of look at their training. They're like, I train hard. I'm training to failure. I'm smashing the weights and you watch them do a bench press and you're like, that's, that's not a bench press. I don't know what that is, but it's not a bench press. And literally, like, they don't have to change anything. They don't have to change their diet. They don't have to change their sets, their reps. They just literally learn how to do a bench press properly and they just explode because they're actually doing stimulatory work at that point. So like, when, they've when, been training hard. But carry, when carry you're on. talking about that bench press uh, and like mm. it not being proper to it being properly executed. Mm. Um, what sort of things, I know we're sort of diving even deeper into sort of these new yeah, ones, yeah. but are we talking, are you talking about cadence? Are you talking about technique? What sort of things are we talking about there? Um, so range like of, racking that bar around. Yeah. So it's like, there needs, so the, the whole like tempo debate is another thing The the eccentric or the lowering phase of the lift needs to be somewhat controlled. Does it have to be 10 seconds, eight seconds? No, but it does have to be that you are actually lowering that weight. Cool. Um, full range of movement. Full range of movement doesn't necessarily mean every single exercise is taken. Like some people, the bar physically can't touch their chest without them sacrificing a good shoulder position. They just physically, anatomically can't do that. But it's taking the movement through your full range of movement. Um, and then also, yeah, that's, that's another thing we can get into a bit later, but yeah, taking a movement through your full range of movement, whatever that means for you and your body, um, having some control of, of, of the weight, like actually you are controlling the weight. You're not just letting momentum take it. Um, and then, yeah, really. And then just kind of, it looks the way it should look. Um, there's no like weird, things going on like they're not doing a super super wide grip or yeah they're not doing i don't know like like when you see a squat like you've got people like super wide feet or their knees are caving in it's like just if it looks pretty good it's probably going to be there and then as long as you are working through full range of movement and there's some control of the eccentric you're probably going to be 80 90 percent of the way there to a good lift awesome <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, I interrupted you talking about what good training was as well. But I love that. That was really interesting what you're just saying then as well. Um, but if I can veer you back onto that, I, yeah. I asked you before about what we're calling good training. Good training. Um, so yeah, so like good training, it's it when you are analyzing a program, 
it has to abide by certain principles and it has to have certain things in it. So if you were analyzing a hypertrophy based program, you're training for muscle gain, but how much volume are you doing per week is going to be a big one. Like, are you doing on average between 10 and 20 sets per body part per week? Obviously there's going to be outliers. There's going to be some people that I'd be like, I only do seven sets and I'm really strong and really jacked. I'm like, okay, cool. And then there's going to be people that I like women, especially and really slow twitch dominant athletes. Like you get a marathon runner, like they are slow twitch all day. Like they are not built for one rep max deadlifting. They are built for longer distance, repetitive cyclical things. So they are probably going to be more slow twitch. They're probably not going to gain muscle very easily. They will probably need a little bit more volume. So they can be, they might be like 30 sets a week. Who knows? Right. Women, like some women are going to be doing like ridiculous amounts of sets per week. If they are truly trying to maximize how much muscle they're going to grow, like volume is going to change person to person. But on average, most people between 10 and set 20 sets, working sets per body part per week, um, the, the efforts there, there, most of those sets are four reps away from failure or below with probably an average of two um, reps away from failure. So they're not just going, drilling themselves into the floor. Every set isn't to failure and fourth reps and partial reps. It's like, no, on average, they're pretty close to failure, but not really far away from failure. Um, techniques there. So their techniques pretty good. Um, like a bench press looks like a bench press. Um, and then just general recoveries on point as well. Um, yeah. Like they're, they're eating some protein. They're not in a massive calorie deficit half the year. Um, they're sleeping like the minimum at least, but ideally, you know, if they're really trying to maximize, they should be going for the, going for the gold star and getting the upper end of that um, recovery. Um, but yeah. Awesome. Uh, okay. And now when we're talking, you've, you've spoken about these uh, sets per week. Is there like a, a split consideration there or can it be like, so let's say 10 sets on a lateral raise. Could you mm. split that like two sets <clears throat> five days or is there an optimal way in which you can structure this? And is the bro split like back, chest, legs, a, a good way of structuring that? So the bro, the bro split's an interesting point. I think a lot of people in like the evidence-based side of things really like to hate on it and I think that position softened slightly of late based on what some people that I quite respect in the industry are saying at the minute. Um, again, when you're analyzing a program, you're, you're analyzing the principles and you're analyzing the, the big rocks. It's like rep ranges, number of sets per week, um, intensity, effort, like you're, you're analyzing these things first <clears throat> and then you have to analyze something like frequency. Um, so the bro split, Typically, you're either looking at Monday's chest, Tuesday's back, Wednesday's legs, Thursday's shoulders, Friday's arms. Like that's the real traditional bro split. It's like you train one body part per day, five, maybe six days a week, uh, and that's it. Um, or you might see something like chest and triceps, <coughs> back and biceps, um, then like legs, shoulders and arms, and then, I don't know, abs and calves or whatever. Um, but typically you're only training each muscle group once per week. Um, if you are doing, uh, a, 
um, trying to word like if you are doing a training program that has lots of compound multi joint movements in it, like if you're doing dips for your triceps on arm day, you are getting some chest on that as well. So in a, in a well thought out bro split, you are potentially training each muscle group one and a half times a week, maybe with the exception of legs. Um, <clears throat> unless you are doing deadlifts on back day, for example, then you are getting some hamstring glute stuff yeah. as well. So an actual well thought out bro split could be like one and a half times per week. So it's not actually that bad, but traditional bro split, everything once per week is not great. Um, the reason it's not great because muscles once you stimulate a muscle it will grow for a certain amount of time or it will be recovering for a certain amount of time in which it is growing so you you stimulate the muscle you do some leg leg extensions whatever you cause some damage you cause some stress you cause a signal for your body to need to get better <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me and then in a few days it will be re recovered and ready to go again but if you train your legs every thursday they might have recovered by Monday or they might have recovered by Sunday. So you're essentially just getting days where you're, you're not growing muscle. They're either just staying the same or if anything, they might even be getting, <clears throat> getting worse. Right, I need a quick drink. That's right. Um, and then also some muscles recover faster than others. So like, big, big muscles like your lats or your, your legs might take a little bit longer. So you're, Cool. You could potentially train those twice a week, but something like your side delts and your shoulders, like some women or a lot of women could be training those like three, four, five times a week. And because their, their capacity to recover is so good, their tolerance of volume is also so much higher. Cool. So like if someone's doing like a, like a female uh, physique competitor could potentially be training shoulders every single day of the week. So if you tell her, that she can only train shoulders once a week, she's not probably not going to get any better because right. she's not going to be able to do enough volume in that one session. If you were like, right, you've got to do 30 sets of shoulders in one session, <laughs> A, you'd be there for like three hours just training side delts. Then you've also got to figure out how to fit in all your other muscle yeah, groups. Um, but yeah, it's like you're just missing out on a lot of potential growth if you're not training muscle groups multiple times a week. And this is where you start to get into like the argument of like, how often should you train a muscle per week? Uh, should you train multiple muscle groups in a session? This is where you really start to get into, you have to identify what is like a hundred percent optimal. And then you have to work backwards from there yeah. because you can't make the optimality argument starting with everyone should train everything once per week. I'm like, okay, but I need to train my chest twice per week. But on Thursday, if I've trained chest on Monday, I need to train it twice a week. On Thursday, I'm training legs. So where do I train my chest? Do I train it after my legs? But my leg session is already two hours. So then you're doing another hour of chest. Yeah, man. It's like, so then you, then you really have to ask yourself, okay, what is optimal? And then you work backwards from there. It's like, okay, if you are trying to fully maximize muscle growth, you probably need to be training twice a day, six days a week, potentially. Like if you are really trying to maximize every single set you are doing and do the maximum amount of work you possibly can yeah. and your recovery is on point, you physically can't do that in one session per day because you'll be there for three yeah. plus hours. Um, and then you also start to get into things of 
right, if I have to train multiple muscle groups per day and I'm training every muscle group two to four times per week, let's say, you're, um, you then start to get into things where if I'm training once, shoulders and smaller muscle groups are going to start to be left behind because if you're like, right, I'm going to train my chest on Monday and then again on Thursday, but I also have to train my side delts four times a week. So I'm training shoulders on Monday and Thursday as well. And then I've got to do calves and I've got to do this. And then all these, and you start to try and figure out how to fit all of these different muscle groups into one session. It's like, you can't because ultimately the muscles you train first are going to get the most effort and most of your energy. And then the muscles you train last, you're not going to have any energy left to put the effort in to cause the growth that you want out of those. So then you really have to think about, right, I need to train twice a day. So I can go home, rest, recover, and then come back and do those other muscle groups when I'm actually rested and ready to go. I feel like I went off a bit of a tangent. No, there, that, that awesome. all made sense. This is awesome. <laughs> and you've said so many things. Like I've, I've already written down like two questions that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. yeah. First, and one has just changed because of something you just said. Um, yeah. So but diving, diving into, let's take an even deeper step into that set as well. Yeah. So you've, you've mentioned reps and reserves. At, we've, yeah. got, we've got RPE, we've got training to yeah. failure. When someone is in a set, so let's say we're talking <laughs> about three sets of 10 reps on a bench press. Yeah. And, and we're talking about things like reps in reserve and RPE. And then you've got mm. programs which are like work off like 80% of your one RM. How yeah. do we amalgamate all of those things together into something where people mm. are like, man, just give me something to work with. Mm. And what should it feel like? Yeah. So, so I've said reps in reserve quite a lot because that is the... If you want to call it, if you want to call it a system, it's not really a system. It's just a method of tracking intensity. Um, some people like to say RP and RAR, so reps and reserve are interchangeable. I don't think they quite are. I think RPE is more catered towards strength training and percentage work. I think percentage work and RPE are quite interchangeable. People who love percentage work would probably argue that they're not and that RAR and RPE are close yeah. together, but you know, whatever. Um, so RAR, reps in reserve, basically means that reps in reserve. So how far away are you from failure? So if I do a set of bench press and I do 10 reps, if I was working an RAR of two, I'm basically saying that I did 10, but I could have done 12. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we're really saying. RPE is, is basically just a measure of effort. So we're saying like an eight out of 10 effort. So it was like, I, I, I did a bench press, I did a set of 10. It wasn't a hundred percent effort because a hundred percent effort would be, I did 10 and I couldn't have done 11. That's what hundred percent effort means. <clears throat> um, but when you get into like the finer details of RP, you're like, okay, I did an eight. Was it an eight? Could I have done 11 reps? Yeah. Could I, should I have done nine reps? I think it's the waters are a little bit more murky. The reason I like RER is because it is specific. It's like, I did 10. I could have done 12. I okay. could not have done 13. I could not have done 14. It's like, I did 10, but I could have done 12. And it's, it's still not a perfect science because when you're like, right, week one is four reps in reserve. So I'm four reps away from failure. Okay. Get to rep eight. Let's say I'm doing... So I use rep ranges. So it might be like eight to 12 reps. My first set, I'm going to try and do 12, but I could have done 16. Right. And then my reps will probably fall off a little bit, but every set is going to be four reps away from failure. 
um, and failures, the, the point of failure is going to differ slightly set, uh, as the sets go on, because the more tired you get, you're, you're going to probably be closer to failure. If I did 10, I could have done 12. Set number two, I did 10. Failure might not have been 12. Failure might have been 11 now, or it might even have been 10. And then I do another set of 10, and that might be failure. Or it might, I might not even get 10, I might get nine. So I think percent sticking to kind of your question as close as I can, because I like to go on tangent. I think sticking <laughs> to the question, like percentages are probably more best catered to strength training because the goal of strength training is ultimately to decrease reps, increase load on the bar, and ultimately decrease reps. Um, if you are working up to uh, peaking or working up to one rep max. And I think RPE works really nicely, especially with powerlifting, because it's like, it's basically interchangeable. Like seven, right, you're going to work at a seven out of 10 and you're going to do seven reps. And then next week, it's going to be seven reps again, but it's going to be eight out of 10. And then the next week, it's going to be seven reps again, but it's going to be nine out of 10. So the, ultimately yeah. the load is going up, which is what you want to get stronger. You need to lift more weights to make you stronger. Um, but then you can also decrease the number of reps and then you can play around with that RP as well. So yeah, man, it might be like, right. Week one is seven, seven out of 10, seven reps. Week two or three is like five reps, but it's now seven out of 10 still. And then ultimately you progress towards one rep, 10 out of 10 effort at the end. And hopefully that's a now a new one rep max. Um, but I think the, the, diff, the difficulty applying percentages to bodybuilding training is because we are we're trying to make sure that all of our sets are kind of four reps or less cool. away from failure because what kind of the studies and the research is saying is that reps like five six seven away from failure still cause muscle growth but the problem is is they don't cause much muscle growth yeah the difference between five reps away from failure and three reps away from failure is quite big the difference between two reps away from failure and one rep away from failure isn't that much. So like the further away you get from that four, the less stimulatory it gets, but the closer from four to one you get, it gets more stimulatory, but the difference is smaller. Um, but yeah, it's kind of summarized a lot. I really like reps in reserve because it, it's, it is specific. It's like, right, I did 10, I could have done 12. It's, and then it's like, right, next week I have to do 11 because I have to progress somehow. And depending on the exercise or the rep range will depend on if I'm increasing weight reps or if I'm keeping those the same and I'm just adding more sets. Um, it also, um, I, I really like it as well because it's dynamic and it allows it, allows it to move with the athlete. So yeah. I think when you've, and there is a place for all of these things and I think we both would agree. Yeah. But when you, when you slam a percentage on and an athlete walks into the gym, one or two things can happen. They can feel way stronger but it's like, well, yeah. I'm working 85%, especially with a strength athlete. I know what that 85% is. I've got an actual number. Could have yeah. maybe gone a bit heavier. Or it goes the other way. And because your, your, your percentage of your 1RM, your 1RM should naturally be moving as, it, as you're getting stronger. Yeah. And then you've got the yeah. other end where you come in, maybe you're feeling like crap and you're not able to hit what you thought was your 80%. And then you walk away thinking you've had a naff session. But if, like you're saying, yeah. if you work with reps in reserve, that is based on your perceived exertion still, sort of. So yeah. it matches where the athlete is on the day as well. And it's nice yeah. to have that regulation in there too. Yeah, 100%. And I think you just hit a really key point there of like percentages being fixed 
is is really hard because you said like your one rep max is different day to day because you've got all these different things to factor in and with women it's even more complicated um but it's like you come in on monday your one rep max might be 100 kilos you come in on tuesday it might be 95 kilos you just don't know like unless you test your one rep max every day which would be stupid uh, (laughs) you, you just you just don't know so you have to kind of be like right based on my periodized program that my coach has laid out for me, yeah. I need to hit 85% today for five reps or whatever it might be. But you come in and you feel amazing. You're like, I did five. That should feel heavy. Let's say I did five, but I could have done seven. You come in on today and you're like, I did five, but I could have done 15. I felt like an absolute animal. Um, so then it begs the question, should you have done more? Yeah. Man. Or should you have stayed at the percentage? Um, and yeah, that's a whole different area to get in, but that's, that's also why I think for something like powerlifting, I really like RPE because it does allow for that little bit of flexibility. It's like, right. Eight out of 10. Yeah, man. As you get more advanced, you know what eight out of 10 feels like. Then you start getting into the realms of like 8.5, 7.5 and you learn what this means as a powerlifter. But yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely probably better to have that little bit of auto regulation in there is like eight out of 10 effort. Well, I was supposed to do hundred kilos and that was supposed to be my eight out of 10, but it moved like a six or a seven. Like it moved so fast and it felt light and it didn't feel like a seven. So I added five kilos and that kind of yeah. it felt more like a seven or more like an eight. So you're getting the most out of that training. Um, and then, yeah, you can get into a whole other thing about strength strength sports and kind of the application of programming there. But yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. Do you think um, we see a lot people moving between the sports of powerlifting and bodybuilding. Do you mm. think that um, going to like your gen, gen pop, that there is a place for strength cycles within a, within a hypertrophy program? This is a really interesting area. This is something I actually spoke to James Hoffman about um, at a seminar last year. Um, last year? <coughs> No, it was the 2018 uh, Revive Stronger RP seminar. Awesome. Uh, and this was something I brought up. I asked the question, I'm like, is there, is there any potential benefits for extended strength cycles or for realization of strength via peaking for a one rep max cool. in, the long term, um, in the long term of hypertrophy? So if you're truly looking to maximize hypertrophy, is there a place for extended strength cycles yeah. or truly realizing a one rep max or doing three reps or less altogether. Um, and he pretty much flat out said no. Okay. Wow. Okay. What you are. So in a good hypertrophy program, you will be doing sets of five, five to seven more than likely. Um, you should be doing all rep ranges from five all the way up to 30 and maybe beyond in some other cases, but predominantly five today. So you, if you think in, in any strength program, there's going to be sets of five, seven, eight in there. If you think like at the start of a 12 week typical strength block, you might see 10 reps at the first week. Um, And I think for like intermediate and people who have been training consistently for a while, um, you're still going to be getting strong doing five to 12 reps. Like, you, if you do, like people getting strong doing sets of 20, like when you see like the 20 rep uh, squat cycles, it's like, if you are progressively adding weight to the bar, you're getting stronger. 
Yeah. Are you going to get as strong as you possibly could if you did lower reps, less than five? No, probably not, because that's more specific. Um, maximal strength, build strength maximally. I can't remember who said that, but I love that. It's like, you're not going to get maximally strong by doing sets of 20 because it's so far removed from a one rep max. The skill of a one rep max, it, the, the, the more below like five reps you get, the more of a neurological thing it gets. Yeah. The more kind of above eight you get, the more it's correlated with muscle growth, especially in isolation movements. Like if your 10 rep max has gone up on a leg extension, you pretty much can, with very strong confidence, you can say you've probably grown muscle. If your one rep max squat goes up, you can't really yeah. say with any confidence that you've grown muscle um, because they're just so, they're, those outcomes are so far removed from each other. Um, I think for general, for general population, there's almost, there's no need for a lot of, kind of the things that we've probably already touched on slash we are going to touch on. Um, what's the name? Brad, Sco Brad Schoenfeld said something. He was like, people ask me all the time about all these finite details of strength training and of Maya reps and all of these different things. And he was like, you can probably get 70% of the gains you're ever going to get just by going into the gym and training hard and eating some protein. Yeah. Like, without really thinking about anything else, if there's some, if effort and execution are there, like if your technique's good and you're trying hard, you're probably going to get 70% of the gains you yes. ever could without thinking about any of these other details. Um, but we're nerds. We like to geek out about the 30%. And if you want to maximize your results, that 30% becomes really important. Yeah. Um, for general population, I don't think doing extended periods of strength is going to give you any benefit like for general population who aren't maybe trained it would maybe training three four maybe five times a week who knows um are kind of doing their they're trying hard their techniques okay um they're going to get as strong as they ever need to be uh, or potentially as they possibly can just by doing five to 12 reps for the most part they're going to get as strong as they need to they're going to grow all the muscle they want um, I think in a truly, in a, in a long-term periodized bodybuilding program, there should be phases of lower volume and lower volume is less reps generally. Like you're probably going to, in like a maintenance phase, a couple of times a year, you've done, let's say for example, just so you can get like a really good example thought process of this is like you've done three or four, four to eight week cycles of training back to back with some deloads thrown in there you're pretty resistant to bodybuilding training if you're really pushing the limits of how much volume you can do three measure cycles in 16 weeks or so into training you're like i don't want to be in the gym anymore so what's a good idea to do is to drop volume to maintenance so the amount of volume you need to do to maintain your results um, because if you're eating protein and you're doing the minimum amount, your muscle's not just going to fall off. You're probably not going to grow any muscle, but you're not going to lose any, which is the main thing. Um, and then what you can also do during this time, it could be six to eight weeks, maybe a bit longer if you really wanted to get your strength numbers up. And you could just do like sets of four to six, like your bench, your um, like Romanian deadlifts, your squats, 
your shoulder presses, you drop all those down to four to six reps. You do a couple of accessory movements of maybe like eight to 12 or 10 to 15 if you're doing some smaller muscle groups like arms and side delts. Um, but for the most part, you're really cutting the number of sets you're doing. You're really cutting the number of reps you're doing and you're just focusing on progressing the load on the bar. Um, and in these times, you can get really strong because you're not really fatigued from doing 20 sets per body part. You're doing like, I don't know, six, eight maybe. Yeah. Um, so you're not really fatigued. So you've got all this extra recovery ability. You're going to be able to put more, more load on the bar. If you're doing 20 sets a week, you're probably not making massive leaps and bound in your strength numbers because you've got to recover from all of this stuff and your body's growing muscle because that's what the goal is of that type of training. Um, so when you cut all this volume out and you cut all this extra fluff out, you're like, ah, oh, I can put more load on the bar. You can get stronger. Do you have to do sets of three, sets of one? Do you have to do warrant matches? No, because there's no need for it. Um, it's not helping you get towards your goals. Um, and also your goal during this time predominantly is just to reduce um, your volume tolerance um, through this time. Um, yeah, you, I hope that answers the question. Would you advise people to uh, auto-regulate their deloads or to program them in? Or have a, like a, a loose program? So like maybe it's going to hit on five to, to week eight, we want that deload. Yeah. And if, if someone's like not taking steroids and they've been progressively mm. overloading for eight weeks mm. uh, or they say that they're training hard for eight <clears> weeks, yeah. Uh, do, would you as a coach be like, look, I know you're feeling good, but we're going to throw a deload in here just to make sure you don't burn out. Or would you push them? Would you go for like a peak week? I think, again, this is, this is a big, it depends. So beginners, I, I think the need for pre-planned pre deloads for a beginner isn't as high because they're not actually able to push themselves as hard as possible. So this thing like they've got, they've got to learn technique. Like if yeah, you, man. like if you had a PT client come to you, they've got to learn technique. Um, so like a beginner can progress. They can add two and a half kilos to their bench press week after week, after week, after week, after week. And it just seems never ending. It's not just the fact that they're getting really strong because for the most part, they're not, their techniques getting better their stability is getting better. Yeah. That's a big one. Like there's this really like, so like if you're doing a bench press, you've got to actually stabilize the bar. Like people's shoulders are like, all over the shop. <laughs> it's like you see them, the bars like waving around or like they've just got no, they're not strong to begin yeah. with, but also they haven't got any stability. So they can't maximally apply force and they can't maximally utilize all of their strength and their muscle um, to the best of their ability. So, they're not actually training like they might do a bench like let's say week one we keep using bench press as an example because you know bench is life um, <laughs> like let's say you train them week one monday they do a bench press and you're like right we're gonna do three sets of ten because yeah. you know three sets of ten is the tone zone um <laughs> <laughs> they do um so they do they do three sets of ten with like i don't know just the barbell 20 kilos right susan like susan you know everyone loves susan um, <laughs> and you like she only just racks that 10th rep. Like you help the bar into the rack every single one of those sets of 10. She comes in next week, she's just 25 and it looks exactly the same. She comes in the next week, just 30. Comes in the next week, just 32, then 34, then 36. And it's just, it's, it looks exactly the same every week, but it just, it just goes up and up and up and up and up and up. And eventually that's going to come to a stop because they learn to stabilize. 
They learn to control their body. Yeah. And a really interesting thing about beginners is this co-contraction. So like when you do uh, like the antagonist muscles, so like when you do a bicep curl, when you're a real beginner, your tricep is like is activating against this. And there's this co-contraction thing. So it's like you do a bicep curl and your tricep is working really hard. I don't fully understand this concept, but I was listening to a video about this the other day and someone was explaining it. It's like the, the more advanced you get, or not even advanced, just like once you've learned to lift, your tricep stops co-contracting so hard and it allows you to lift more because it's, you're no longer restricted by this co-contraction. Um, that so is, is crazy. Wow. Yeah, again, I'm not a muscle... Don't ask me questions about this because this is the extent of my knowledge. But this is how um, it was the guys at RP actually. They were explaining like why beginners can just progress for like seemingly endlessly for like the first year or two of their training. It's not just that they're getting really jacked and really strong, is that all these different things like the stabilization, like their ability to actually contract the muscle, the muscles they're targeting. And then there's this also this co contraction. And this is kind of a reason why antagonist supersets are really good for like beginners and for um yes. like time saving is because it's not a limiting factor for a beginner so when you do like a like a bicep tricep superset it saves loads of time for a beginner it doesn't impact their strength at all for an advanced person if you get someone who's been training for 10 years and you're like right you're going to do a 10 rep max bicep curl then you're going to do a 10 rep max close grip bench press then you're like right you're going to do a 10 rep max bicep curl again their bicep curl will be weaker and their close grip bench press will then be weaker even further. And it just gets weaker and weaker yeah. because they can't sustain that maximal effort of both um, agonist and antagonist muscles. Whereas a beginner, it actually makes them stronger because if you do a bicep curl and your triceps working really hard, once you've then done a set of tricep extensions, your triceps now fatigued and it can't co-contract as hard. So then your biceps actually get stronger as a beginner by training antagonist supersets. Yeah, man. Um, which is, yeah, another topic altogether. But That's I got away from the point. But, um, but yeah, what was the actual question? I can't actually remember the initial oh, I can't remember. I can't even remember, but that was, that's really fascinating me. I think there's a couple of ways you could sort of practically apply that. I mean, when you take, if, you take, if you take that co-contraction idea to like an advanced athlete, well then it, it seems to me like it would have um, so like you said, if you take an amateur athlete or like mm. a beginner athlete or a beginner exerciser mm. and they're doing this antagonist training, it's beneficial because you have less uh, restriction at stimulating the muscle you're trying to stimulate. So you're pre-exhausted your tricep, yeah. therefore the bicep gets more stimulation. Mm. But then by that argument, if we're, if we're still talking with all the realms of the co-contraction, co mm. I think that's the right phrase. Mm. Um, yeah, co-contraction with the if you take that with a more advanced athlete then it sounds like it would have less of an effect on that perspective you're obviously exhausted because you're expending mm -hmm. energy but surely that would then have less of an effect because that muscle isn't being massively stimulated anyway in a but yeah. so it's it's um it's effect on the contraction of its antagonistic muscle mm. becomes less significant as the athlete gets more advanced what yeah, but then the, the thing with the advanced athlete is that their ability to maximally stimulate and maximally provide effort to a muscle is so much higher. So, like, if you do a, like, if you 
as like an advanced athlete or as someone who is well-trained does like a 10 rep max set of bench press. And then I ask you to do a 10 rep max of bent over rows. That max set of bench press is, is centrally fatiguing. Oh yeah. Totally. Like, totally. It's like, you're going to, you're going to be able to produce so much force and effort that it's centrally fatiguing. It's yeah. like you're breathing heavy you just generally feel tired. You're like, <gasps> you like, you're just like, oh my god, I'm absolutely. You've like, used the chorus of the Eminem song yeah. already, like. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like every, like your your core is going to be fatigued because you've yeah. been bracing. If you're actually bracing well for a bench press, if I then ask you to go straight into a set of bent over rows with like minimal rest, yeah. you're you're still breathing heavy. Your core is still fatigued, so you're not as rested. Um, because that bench press is going to take so much more out of you. Um, yeah, it's like if you do a heavy set of squats, you, you ain't doing nothing else. Like you're yeah. on the floor. Like you do a 10 rep max set of squats, you're on the floor for five minutes. Like you, you ain't doing anything else. <laughs> if you're working within your uh, RPE or your RIR, whatever you want to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When we talk about failure, I don't want to forget this because um, mm. it keeps popping up. When we talk about <clears> failure, yeah. Uh, is this mechanical failure? Does this mean that the, the RIR becomes like zero? You, you stop when you, you just can't move anymore? Is it when you have a yeah. spot? Like what is, what is failure for the, anyone listening? So, so, fa so, mus so if you like muscular failure, the target muscle can no longer produce enough force to move the weight through the desired range of movement. Oh, yes! That's good. I didn't even rehearse that. That was pretty good. Um, so, like, you're doing um, like bicep curl, for example, because it's got a very, it's got a very specific start and end point. The start is the arm is straight. The the top of the movement is you've curled as much as you possibly can. Not just that you're just moving your hands to your chest, but you've contracted your bicep for as long as you can until you can't contract it anymore, and that's the short position. Failure would be that you can no longer produce enough force via your bicep to move the dumbbell to that end point of which the bicep is fully shortened. Now there's, there's obviously debate around what is true failure. Cause if you could still do that two thirds of the rep, let's say, are you actually at muscular failure? Yeah. And now this is where it gets a little bit murky. And this is where a lot of debate starts because a lot of people are like, well, if I can still do 60% of the movement, on, I don't know, an isolation movement, like if you're doing leg extensions and we were like right at the top, I want you to straighten your leg and I want you to flex your quad. That's the top of the movement. As you get closer and closer, four, three, two, one, you're probably not maximally flexing and keeping your leg perfectly straight at the top. It's probably going to be like a very slight angle. And then it's like, it starts to get to like 70% of the yeah. angle, 50% down. It's like, okay, if I can still move through a controlled 60, 70% yeah. of the movement, should I keep moving? Um, this is a, an interesting debate. And the way I like to char 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 characterize it, that's the word, but yeah, I'm not an English teacher, <laughs> it's all right. Um, the way I like to characterize it is you can no longer take the you can no longer perform the movement through the range of motion that you set out to perform that movement is the way I would kind of characterize failure. Um, I will generally stop a set at when I think I won't be able 
able to fully perform the next rep. Cool. Like if I'm doing a set of incline dumbbell press and I'm going, right, it's one or no reps away from failure and I finish my 12th rep and I'm like, if I go down, they ain't coming all the way back up. Yeah, I'm man. Like, right. I personally would feel on that kind of movement, I'm not going to do the next rep because I'm just going to get halfway and then they're just going to fall back down. Right. Um, I think there's potentially application for like doing some form of partial ranges on isolation movements because they're not as centrally fatiguing. Oh. Like I think there's like, if you're in a set of squats, I don't think there's any application. If you're trying to do full range of movement back squats, I don't think there's really any hypertrophy application for, right. I'm not going to, if I go down to my full depth, hip crease below the knee or acid to grass, whatever your full depth is, I don't think, if you get to the top of that 12th rep and you're like, right, if I go all the way down, I'm not coming back up. So I'm just going to go halfway. I don't think that has any real application in long-term hypertrophy training. Um, partial range, partial range movements, potentially, because you're still going through the full range of that movement. A, a dumbbell floor press is a great example of that. You're going through the full range of yeah. movement that the movement allows, but it's not the full range of movement of the chest. Um, but yeah, that's another, again, that's another kind of area. But I think characterizing failure for the most part, especially for general population um, and up to intermediate people, is failure is you can't perform the next rep through the desired range of movement that you initially set out to perform that movement, is what I would say. Brilliant. Now, if we, we spoke about this earlier, so you've got mm. with a muscle contraction, you've got the concentric and the eccentric. I think yeah. most people would agree that the eccentric appears to be uh, more influential in terms of hypertrophy. Would you yes. agree with me there? So, if yeah. that is the case, mm. um, what do you think that there is a place <clears throat> for? Because mm. um, especially when people get into this, it's like right, you have to move perfectly, and we've already yeah. said that. Like, it's important as a beginner that you yeah. build a fantastic foundation of movement. But then yeah. maybe there is a place to a bit mm. of, right, crank it up, but then make sure yeah. the eccentric phase of the movement is effective. So if, it's, yeah. if you're stopping because you've gone, right, I can't concentrically do this without a little bit of rock in my back. Yeah. But yeah. maybe you could have used that rock a little bit, got it up to the top and yeah. then had it. Sorry, I'll stop talking now. What do you think? Yeah, no, no, I fully understand what you mean. Yeah, so... I think movement dependent. So like if we were to kind of characterize as a bit of body language in your bicep curls or on your lateral raises, perhaps. <laughs> um, like you've, 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 you, you're rock solid. Let's say you're doing your 15 bicep curls, yeah. get to rep 10 and it's like, oh, that was not quite all the way up. I think I'm going to struggle to get 15. So you just give it a little bit of like a, a hip, a little bit of a hip thrust and you get that weight up and then you control it down without rocking. And you get to that 14th rep and you're like, Oh, I've got to put a little bit more English into this. Um, <laughs> yes. And I think ice isolation, again, it depends on the movement because some movements you can't. Um, I think movements, big movements like squats, um, I think there's not really a place for bouncing out of that hole. Yeah. Um, deadlifts, like if you're, I don't know, 
doing again deadlifts and bodybuilding again is another complete topic but like if you're just like bouncing the weight off the floor like let's say you're doing touch and go deadlifts in a hypertrophy program it's fine don't really have any problems with that but if you are like right i'm going for a heavy five and you're the first one you kind of just touch the plates in the floor the second one there's a little bit of more of a bounce and then you get to like rep three four and it's like bang and you're smashing the weights and you're the rate the bumper plates are basically you're trying to stand up quicker than them it's a race because you're no longer actually lifting the weight so i think it depends on are you still maximally contracting the muscle throughout that movement or is literally uh, momentum and gravity like or resisting gravity is not taking it up but like is literally momentum the only thing moving that weight from point a to point b if that's the case then i don't think so um, I think in bicep curls, as you're getting a little bit closer towards failure, like that last week of the program, it's no reps or one rep away from failure. I think there's definitely a place for a little bit of body English um, <laughs> because, because of like angles and the, like, gravi- like, the way gravity works like around a dumbbell and just the angles of that you're working at, like a standing dumbbell curl, it's not the most advantageous position for the gravity arc, and things the like strength that. arc is totally different yeah, yeah, yeah like the strength curve and things like that a different movement um it's it's uneven at different points so i think a little bit of body language on some like the last set or two of your bicep curls towards the latter half of your program might allow you to eke out a little bit more stimulation a little bit more growth now do we think there's a place for that every single week of your program no probably not Um, because it's going to make each of those sets that much more fatiguing um, and it could potentially make you overreach or it could potentially make you fatigue yourself too much because you're essentially handling weights that you can't actually lift. Like if your goal is to maximally contract and stimulate your bicep, if you are swinging the hell out of it and you're really giving it some hip drive, you're essentially not curling that weight anymore. You're just moving your body around the barbell or the dumbbell and then somewhat controlling it down. Um, and I think those would be a lot more fatiguing than would be otherwise uh, wanted. Yes, I'm so glad you touched on <clears throat> overreaching. And then, because what I wanted to ask you before was, and it's mm. really nice to that, was how often do you think it's appropriate to use uh, for formats like um drop sets and like pump mm. work and then like mm. the famous um i've never actually done this which of you have but the 21s with the bicep curls 21s, so, yeah so that sort that stuff where people sort of get excited like you said people come to the gym and they do it with their mates yeah, yeah how much sick pump. Sort of place and how and how often should we be chasing like that uh that stress isolated stress where you're pumping yeah. your muscle and failure work um, so I would I would classify that kind of training as metabolite work. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's definitely a place for it. The problem with that kind of training, so the problem with metabolite work in which your goal is literally just to pump as much blood into the muscles as possible, get that really deep burn. Um, the problem with that is it doesn't work for very long. Does it work? 100%. Does it work as well as traditional six to yeah. 12 to 15 rep training? Potentially, 
But the problem is, is that training works continuously forever, as long as your genetics will allow. Obviously, there's some finer details around that, like deloads and maintenance phases and cycling volume and all these things. But metabolite style training, high rep, drop sets, supersets, well, same muscle superset, shall we say. Um, it only works for so long because your body adapts to it really quickly. It, it is able to clear those waste products that are building up. It's able to tolerate, like your pain tolerance just goes up and it, it stops giving you as good of a pump. Like, it, like, the first, like the guys at RP will generally say maybe six weeks, probably not two mesocycles. So what I would probably say is a mesocycle of doing those things on top of your normal regular training. So if I was to kind of quickly lay out a, what I would consider to be a bodybuilding periodization, it would be like, let's say three mesocycles. So my mesocycles, I have five progressively overloading weeks in which I progress reps in reserve up and from four to one or none. Um, I'll then have a deload. So deload is week six and that's a mesocycle. So it's six weeks long mesocycle, five weeks progressive and then one week deload and then repeat. So if I was going to do three mesocycles, typically it would be mostly basic hypertrophy training. So but the bulk average of my reps is six to 12 with some isolation work in the 10 to 15, maybe some stuff in the 15 to 20 reps. That's going to be mesocycle one, first six weeks. Mesocycle two, the average number of reps will maybe move from six to 12 to eight to 12, or it might be like six to 10 and it might move up to eight to 12. So the, just the, the average of the reps just moves up slightly. Um, I might then add in some 20 to 30 rep work and my things that were like 10 to 15 will probably move up to 15 to 20. So there's an increasing volume because I'm doing more, I'm do, not necessarily doing more sets, but I'm doing more total work, more reps, um, and then maybe more sets as well on top of that, but we won't talk about that yet. And then that would be mesocycle two. That's another six weeks. And then mesocycle three, I would do a metabolite phase. So I would, it would be, the bulk of it would be the same as mesocycle two. So the average reps are probably eight to 12, maybe 10 to 20 on those uh, isolation movements or those movements that cater more towards a slightly higher rep range. And then I'm going to add in some drop sets. I'm going to add in some same muscle group supersets. I'm going to add in some myo reps and all the different types of things. These types of things that cause, that are just lots, they're like high rep, they're short rest periods. And the goal of that is to force as much blood into the muscle as possible. Um, and then it's getting another mechanism of hypertrophy. So when we talk about the mechanism of hypertrophy, mechanical tension is going to be the biggest one. It's, it's basically you are doing six to 12 reps for the most part, and you're using a load that is challenging. It's typically loads of above 70%, let's say, could make an argument for 60% and above. There's always going to be some form of mechanical tension depending on whatever rep range you're using. But for the most part, we're talking six to 12 reps above 70% of your one rep max is what we would probably characterize as work that is bulk of it is mechanical tension based. Yeah. And then the metabolite work is going to be things that cause a really big pump and cause that deep burn. And it's basically just your body's inability to clear waste product quicker than it's coming in. 
So you're again, I don't, I don't fully understand the the the, uh, the processes behind it, but it's basically your body can't clear waste products fast enough, so you have to stop. Um, mm. And then there's an added benefit of cell swelling, cell swelling, swelling. Yeah. Um, so pumping all this blood into the muscle, it causes your muscles, your cells, your your tissues to expand. That in itself has a hypertrophy effect. Um, but what then happens is after this mesocycle of six weeks, so I'm adding in these drop sets, these supersets, all these things, over that six weeks, I get better at doing it. So the amount of reps yeah, I can do right. goes up. I can rest shorter and get the same number of reps because my body gets better at clearing these products um, and I can essentially do more. But yeah, once you get past that kind of six week mark, they become less stimulatory um, and you become more resistant to that type of training. Whereas you can still progress um, via normal kind of mechanical tension based work can like indefinite, well, not indefinitely, but like you could still keep progressing six to 12 reps, keep increasing the weight, keep increasing the reps kind of mm -hmm. for quite a long time. But metabolite work, you're kind of going to do one mesocycle of four to eight weeks and you're pretty much done. Like you could do another one and it's still gonna give you some more growth, but not as much as you did the first time. It's like, it's diminishing returns. It's like you could keep doing it, but it's almost like flogging a dead horse or whatever. Right, thing. Yeah, cool. It's like you could just take that, maybe time to take a maintenance phase and then kind of rinse and repeat, go back to mesocycle one. You're gonna do like the bulk of it is six to 12, then the bulk of it is eight to 15, and then yeah. metabolite phase. And then what these kind of recycling these phases do is it will resensitize you to those things so that once you do that next six weeks of metabolite work, it has those amazing effects again. Yeah. You're sensitized to that type of training. Whereas if you do it all the time, it, it, you, just, you just get resistant to it and it doesn't have the same effects. Um, yeah, I hope that answers the question. That was such a good answer. That was such a good answer. <laughs> Thank you. One of the things that we haven't talked about is that mm. like you said we're gonna geek mm. out because it's fun to do that but yeah. there's an element of like with these fundamentals now within these fundamentals jack what sort of lifestyle elements would you say need to be in place so before someone comes to you and they're like right dude um what should my rpe be on on my on my fifth week of uh my measure of my first like yeah. on back squat are you yeah. like well dude you need to sort these three things out at first are these things in check before you start worrying about those from a lifestyle um, what what my lifestyle perspective um sleep like i are you getting sleep like if you're if you come to me and you're like right <laughs> i work at a nightclub um i always go out after i finish work at the nightclub i'm like right so you're probably getting no sleep and the sleep you are getting is going to be pretty naff i'm probably not gonna give you maximum amount of volume that you could possibly yeah. handle there's probably going to be slightly less weeks of those really high intensities, the overall volume is probably going to be lower uh, and you're probably not going to be training twice a day, six days a week. Um, so generally overall volume and intensity is going to go down slightly. Um, so yeah, sleep, sleep's going to be the big one. Good. Nutrition, um, just is the general diet good? Like are they eating some vegetables? Are they eating some protein um, and are they 
like drinking well sorry drink hydration is that as well like are they drinking some water are they eating some protein are they eating some vegetables fruit and vegetables like big big rock stuff like yeah, if you are doing these things like okay then you can look to getting them into like how much protein but it's like do they know what protein is okay cool right, right. are you eating some of it and then you we can obviously look at their diet and be like they give us a diet plan or a diet uh, food diary and we can look at it and go right they're probably about this much protein yeah um so if we look at that and it's like okay yeah they're eating protein two to three times a day we're like okay cool big rocks are in place then you can look at the finer details um and then lifestyle stress stress man like are they a really highly strong individual like are they do they have a big big job like they've got four kids um so many other potential yeah, things that can cause stress like if they are really really stressed we are not going to push them in any way shape or form yeah, totally. um, if they're like right yeah that week five cool what's what are we going for coach i'm like no you need to like not worry about week yeah, five man. you need to calm the fuck out <laughs> <laughs> do some meditation you need to get on headspace get on that um but then like stress just ties into those other things man like sleep if if they are are eating well, sleeping well, then we can maybe address some other stress factors. But you've got to start with those. It's like, are they overtraining? Are they undereating? Are they undersleeping? If they're doing any of these three things, there's no even need to consider so many things about training. Absolutely. Um, or even stress. It's like, oh, I'm really stressed. What should I do? It's like, are you sleeping? No. Okay, go and sleep. Yeah. And then, yeah. then we'll ask you if you're stressed. But everyone likes to deal with, or the sun's literally just like come out. Come in, man. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like people will be like, oh, I'm really stressed. I'm like, oh, I need to meditate or I need to, yeah, like a lot of our members are um, trialing like headspace and calm and all these different things. I'm like, no, you need to identify the root cause of why you are stressed. I'm like, I know for a fact you have slept five hours a night or less for the past 10 years since you've had kids. Sleep more. Use the hour that you're going to funny around with calm and headspace and sleep, yeah. get a nap in. Then come back to me and ask me if you're still stressed because the things that are stressing you out, they're stressing you out more because you are underfed, underslept mm. or potentially overtrained. And some people go like, we've got some people here that are absolute athletes, freak athletes, like super ultra mega distance runners that are like, like if you go to a park run, they're lapping people. <laughs> like, like three three something hour marathon women like ridiculous and it's like no you need to like just chill out like rest recover then we'll look at addressing stress but it's probably because you're overtrained underslept more than anything and there's two reasons i think it's really important <clears throat> to talk about things those things one because people can address them and two it just it, it, it excuses <clears throat> the expectation of optimal so someone's like well i saw jack tell me that i'm meant to be doing between uh, i should be hitting this muscle frequency at least like 10 times a week or whatever yeah. well hey like look you've got all of these other things going on that's okay yeah. but you can't do that and and the fact that your yeah. motivation's dwindling your your capacity for volume is coming down loads we're just overcooking mm. it and it's for these reasons and it just reassures yeah. people that you've got another life as well as everything going on in the gym yeah 100 percent. and i think kind of touching onto that what you just said there like it also ties into what I said um, that Brad Schoenfeld said when he was like 70% of all the results you could ever 
realistically hope to get could come from just half decent training, half decent eating. Yeah, man. Which also potentially means like 70, 60, 70% of the volume and the effort. It's like general population clients, like you, let's, if we use that 10 to 20 sets per week average for an example, like if your goal is to look pretty good, get pretty strong, train four or five days a week for an hour, like there's no point trying to make this person do 18 sets, 20 sets per body part yeah. per week. Like they, there's no reason to progress volume at all. Like they could do 12 to 14 sets a week. Like let's say 10 is the minimum. It's the, um, it's the minimum effective volume. So 10 sets per muscle group is like the minimum they need to do. It might be a few more. It might be a few less. Who cares? Per week to get muscle growth. So if their goal isn't to get maximally, maximally jacked and they have three kids and they want to go out for a beer at the weekends, there's almost no point in doing 18, 16, 17, 18 plus sets. Like they may as well just do 12. Then they can come in, they can smash it. They can work a little bit harder. They can work at a little bit yeah. higher intensity because they're doing less volume. Um, and then they can, they can go out for a beer. They can live their life and get most of the results that they ever would have got. Awesome. Like, if you were to really put some concrete numbers on it, not that we can put like over 14 sets a week is like you're getting into that 30% of gains. Yeah, like the, like you're doing enough to get a pump and feel sore. Yeah. Great. You could stay there forever and get 70% of the gains maybe that you ever would have got if you're eating kind of well and sleeping kind of well. But then it's like, right, we're all arguing about that 30%. And that top 10%, especially, yeah. everyone's like, right, is it 20 or 21 sets? Yeah. Like, that's 1%. You don't need to concern yourself with that if you're sleeping yeah. five hours a night. You need to sleep seven hours a night, train three times a week instead of six, you're probably going to get more results. And everyone's like, no, but they're training less, so they're not. I'm like, <laughs> okay, yeah, this is just an example. Yeah, yes. we're not talking about details. Mate, that six session you're doing in the week, like that should be where you're sitting down and doing your emails, which you are not sleeping about every single night. Like, yeah, things exactly. in your life that are stressing you out. 100% like, get, get the most out of your training. Don't let your training get the most out of you. Like, there's no point striving for 20 sets a week if doing that 20 sets a week is causing you so much stress yeah. because you're in the gym for, in week five, like some of my leg sessions are like two and a half hours mostly because I like to mince about and rest too long. But it's like, if you're doing like top end, every single set is one rep away from failure or yeah. failure. And you're doing 25 sets in a session and you're resting three plus minutes. So between sets of squats, maybe even longer, like that just in itself is stressful. If you've got other things to do, if your wife is calling you up, yeah. And your mid session, she's like, where are you? You said you were going to be home at seven. It's now eight 30. I'm like, so right. I've only got three more sets of squats. <laughs> and then you get home and then she's, she's, she's at you. She's like, you said you were going to be home at seven. That's causing you more stress. You now don't have the recovery capacity for those yeah. extra three sets of squats that you just did in the gym. <laughs> um, yeah. And using like Mike Isratel said, this as an excuse is never good enough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, but Mike, Mike, Mike said, <laughs> look at him. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And then how do you feel about, um, 
do you think that things can complement? So things that might not be conventionally considered uh, hypertrophy training, you probably, this is yeah. what I said to you, I might ask. And I was like, eh. I thought, frick it, well, I'll ask you anyway. Yeah. Things that might not be considered conventionally uh, hyper, yeah, what you probably wouldn't normally put in a hypertrophy program like gymnastics uh, and like your, your cross. Right, Jack, I'm gonna ask the question. How come CrossFit people are jacked, man? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm really sorry, man. I just tried to take my AirPods out because one of them's died and I now can't hear you. I literally missed that. <laughs> there we go. You're You're back. Still not hear me. You can hear me. Great. Do you know really what? That's time. really good because I asked the question in such a roundabout way. I was like treading on eggshells. Like, how do I ask yeah. this without? But I'm going to go straight for it. Lots of people will be looking at sports like CrossFit. Um, I love CrossFit. I know you're a CrossFit coach too. Uh, you, um, can you hear me? You good? Can you hear me? <laughs> I don't. I literally I put them away and it was like, your AirPods are now connected. And I was like, I've just put them away. <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to go one AirPod. Shorten this, I'm going to shorten this question up. Um, yeah, cool. People looking across the athletes saying, look, they're jacked. What do you, yeah. how do you respond? They're like, Jack, they're not considering, uh, they're not like programming for hypertrophy. How come they're jacked? Yeah. So this, this is a really interesting topic. And I think there's kind of, there's two kind of points around this kind of topic is like, does cardio ruin gains? can you train for multiple things at once okay on the lowest level if my goal is maximal hypertrophy can i do cardio like is doing an hour on the rower going to completely ruin my ability to gain muscle um the answer to that is no because when we look at that 70 like that 70 percent of gains like you can go out for a run a couple of days a week as long as, as, like, as long as your training is good quality, yeah. like you're doing the 12 to 14 sets, or whatever, you're let mostly four or below reps away from failure. E efforts there, execution and technique is there. Um, and yeah, you're going to get most of the gains you could ever hope to have. Is doing a couple of runs a week going to make you gain any less muscle? Probably not, because you've got that extra recovery capacity that you're not using for hypertrophy training that you are using for running. Um, does cardio training enhance muscle gain? That's a different argument altogether. Um, I think the, what cardio training could do at lower intensities, it is A, going to make you healthier. It's also going to improve your recovery capacity because you're, you're going to be, have a better cardiovascular system. Ultimately strength training, um, bodybuilding type training is somewhat to a degree cardiovascular as well, because you're promoting blood flow and you are getting out of breath. So if you've got a better cardiovascular system, you're not going to get as out of breath. You're going to be yeah. more efficient at moving blood around the body. Um, but then you, the kind of the way I like to talk about that to start with is like, you've got a, you've got a maximum recoverable volume to kind of coin term from Mike Isotel and RP guys is like you have an amount of work you can do each week um, that you can still recover from. So if you are doing, let's say upper end of the, uh, the, um, the volume scale, you're doing 20 sets per body part per week. That's your, that is your true upper limit, whether it's a couple more, a couple less details yeah. are relevant, but let's say you can do 20 sets by body part per week. 
if you go out for a run, you don't have the recovery capacity for that because you are literally doing as much as your body can physically handle already. If you go out for a run, that's going to make your legs tired. You're not going to be able to do 20 sets at the same intensity with the same effort and execution. Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah. So I think from a purely recovery standpoint, I don't think you can train intensely cardiovascularly and still recover. You can't go out and pound the pavement doing five K's, 10 K's hard and maximally recover and progress squats, for example. Um, What I think there may be a place for is kind of take, as I said, like taking some of that volume that you were going to do for legs and moving it to like something else. Like if you're like, right, I want to get really good at rowing. Like, I've seen the CrossFit Games or whatever. I've seen the indoor rowing championships. I, I've got a concept to row at my gym. I want to get shit hot rowing. Yeah. If you want to do that, probably don't try and progress your deadlift at the same time. Cool. Because it, it's essentially the same movement pattern using the same muscles. And if you are really driving that rower, your hamstrings are going to be fatigued. Yeah. So you are not going to be maximally recovered to deadlift and progress your deadlift. Um, so what I think there is a place for is non, um, uh, what's the word? Um, like things that don't interfere with each other. Like yeah. you can probably run Mixing. hard like multiple days a week. And then if you just don't squat your, the rest of your body is going to be fine. Like running doesn't interfere with your bench press. Like you could probably run hard several mm-hmm. days a week and still progress your bench press and grow musculature associated with those lifts. Like you can still train your arms, your shoulders, your back, your chest pretty hard and run three, four days a week. Like I don't think for most people that's going to be an issue. If you're trying to maximally grow muscle, then it's like, yes, it's centrally fatiguing still. Cool. And that, again, that's when you get into those, that 30% or those getting towards those 1% things. Um, if your goal is to maximally, maximally build muscle, you have to have a program that is solely catered around allowing you to do as much stimulatory hypertrophy based yeah. volume as possible. Mr. I wrote this example down, Mr. Olympias, you do not see them running five Ks. You will not see it. Yeah, man. Elliot Kipchoge, you will not see him repping hundred <laughs> kilos for 10 on a bench press. <laughs> they are contra- completely opposite yeah. ends of the spectrum and they require completely different people. Like Phil Heat ain't running a marathon anytime soon. If he is, he would, yeah, he ain't going to make the finish line. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, and then to kind of get to your actual question, kind of wanted to lay a bit of groundwork there, but like CrossFit athletes, yes, they're really jacked. The best CrossFit athletes are really jacked. We won't get into the topic of PEDs because that's a completely different kettle of fish that general population don't really understand anyway. But I think when you look at a CrossFit athlete, and this is the appeal of it, right? Yeah. You look at a picture of Rich Froning and you're like, oh my God, I want to look like that. But you're telling me I can train, I can Olympic lift, I can do gymnastics, I can do all, I can run, row, do all these different fun things. I don't just have to do bicep curls and bench presses. I can like, I can train like an actual athlete. I can do fun things like cross. I did CrossFit for like four years. CrossFit is fun. 
like the actual training, you can push yourself, you can compete and the competing things a massive part of it as well, especially within like a, a training environment. Um, and you can do all these fun things and look like that. The problem is, is Rich Froning isn't doing five or six CrossFit classes a week. He is doing six, seven hours a day in the yeah. gym, like working. So when you actually sit down and lay a, a top tier CrossFit athletes program down on paper, they are doing for the most part, a full Olympic weightlifting program. They are doing a full gymnastic strength-based and skill-based program. They are running, they are rowing, they are swimming, they are doing all of the other things that go along with that, all of the core work, all of the accessory work. The amount of work they are doing in a week is obscene. I would probably argue that a, a top-tier CrossFit athlete does more actual training than any other athlete on the planet. Yeah. Not just factoring in skill work and like gym, like swimmers swim like 30 hours a week. Like if you talk to Rebecca Guy, uh, another MNU person, like she was telling me about what her training used to be like as a swimmer, obscene. Like, oh, I used to get up at five o'clock and swim for three hours and then have <laughs> breakfast and then swim for two hours and then be in the gym for two hours. It's like, yeah, if you're an athlete, you are training 30 hours a week. It is a full-time job just to train. That's not recover and do all the other things that go along with that. But so why are CrossFit athletes so jacked to actually answer the question? <laughs> when you look at everything in their program, they are doing squats of five plus reps. They are doing heavy thrusters of five to 20 reps, which is a squat through a semi-controlled range of movement for a range of reps that is within the hypertrophy range of five to 30. Yeah, man. They are getting that metabolite work. Like you do 10 minutes on the assault bike, your quads are about to explode. Yeah. You look at like a velodrome cyclist, their legs would rival a lot of Mr. Olympia competitors in the smaller weight categories. Their legs are enormous. Do they train bodybuilding 10 hours a week? No, but they are on that bike pumping so much blood and metabolites in day after day, hour after hour. And that itself, as we said, the effects of that get less and less, but it still works. So a CrossFit athlete, when you look at what they're doing on paper, the amount of actual work they are doing, the amount of volume per body part in terms of sets of pull-ups, in terms of sets of like squats, they're doing five clean, they're doing like one clean and five front squats. Like when you, you can actually piece together pretty much an entire week's worth of stimulatory bodybuilding training in just what they're already doing. And then if their goal is to build muscle, which some of it is, because if they're like a smaller athlete, like you look at someone like Cody Anderson or Chris Spieler, like Chris Spieler's program was basically a strength program with some bodybuilding work and then you do a Metcon like twice a week because he was just so yeah. fit and so good at CrossFit already. He was like, well, if I can just maintain the fitness that I've got or even lose a bit and just get really strong and gain some weight, I'm going to be much better at CrossFit. So he was getting really jacked because he was just training like a bodybuilder and a strength athlete and doing a couple of wads a week. Whereas like Rich Froning is like doing five wads a day and doing a full Olympic weightlifting program and doing bodybuilding work. So it's like, 
But then the, the, the key point that I like to bring up to people, and this is kind of the internal conflict that I had with myself, I know, Jack, you've frozen. Can you hear? You're back. You're back. You I mean, I can just about hear you. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're back, I think. Can you hear me now? Yes. Sorry, my AirPods died and it was like connected to AirPods and I was like, <laughs> oh, not a thing. I put them away. <laughs> anyway, back to where I was. Sorry. So when you, you have to ask yourself the question, like if your goal is to get jacked, Rich Froning looks like Rich Froning because Rich Froning trains CrossFit 30 to 40 hours a week. He like, and you can apply this to almost any athletes. You look at Olympic gymnasts, like some of the American gymnasts have like bodybuilder arms. Like they are jacked. The, the guys that are really good at the rings, their arms dealt shoulders, chest, looks like a lower weight class bodybuilder. They are jacked, but they are training gymnastics 30 to 40 hours a week. Maximal volume for bodybuilding you're probably looking at less than 15 hours a week. So it's like you could, and Rich, like Rich Froning isn't even going to be anywhere near a competitive bodybuilder as far as like maximal muscle is concerned. So it's like, yes, he's really jacked, but he's training 30 to 40 hours a week to be that jacked. You could be that jacked training 10 hours a week if you've got the same yeah. kind of makeup. And obviously it's going to change person to person, but if you follow a decent hypertrophy program, you could kind of have a physique of a top tier CrossFit athlete with a third of the training. Yeah, man. He looks the way he does because he's, he's accumulating so much stimulatory volume just from doing the type of training that he's doing via CrossFit. And when you add in the amount of cleans and the amount of squats and the amount of thrusters, they're doing so many sets of leg work per week. That's why they look the way they do because they're doing so much volume. Is it the most efficient way to be that jacked? Absolutely not. That's, and that's kind of the key point that I had to kind of realize to myself. I was like, if I go to do CrossFit and I want to be really jacked, I'm going to have to train so much more than I would have if I wanted to just do bodybuilding training and be jacked. Yes. Right. That, that, it's that time. It's that time versus goal kind of trade-off is like if you want to do crossfit classes five days a week that's absolutely fine but you will have to accept the fact that you will not get the same hypertrophy results that you would have as if you bodybuild it five days a week you will have to do so much more to get the same purely muscle gain effects than if you just did one or the other um yeah, I think that's, that's I think that's bang on. And if and I think you're right, if someone's looking to to develop their physique and that's one of their main intentions, yeah. You've done a great job of going, well, look, just because that is what you see doesn't mean that that's the way you have to get there. Reduce yeah. your time investment and you can do it this way. Yeah. Now, Jack, um, right, the do you know what the last question I'm gonna ask you is? Uh no, don't yeah. <laughs> well before I ask it then, is there anything else you wanted to add? Um You've done an amazing job, by the way. I think just to kind of 
reiterate what we've kind of been saying throughout is like when people talk about hypertrophy training, they're always focusing on these 1% things. And it's like, oh, should it be, okay, in my last set, should I go one rep away from failure or should I go to failure in my last week? Or should I deload every five or six weeks? Or should I do two metabolite phases? Or should I not do metabolites? Should I do metabolites all the time? Um, should I do forced reps? Should I go past failure? It's like, should I be training every muscle group two or three times a week? Or should I be doing 20 or 22 sets in my last week? And all these different things. Should I progress volume? Should I not progress volume? These are 1% things. These are the things that will take someone from finishing second in a bodybuilding show to finishing first in a bodybuilding show or taking them from fifth to third or from taking someone from, I don't know, like gaining two pounds in a year when they might have gained one pound in a year. And it's kind of like, as we kind of said before, it's like that 70% comes from effort and intensity, effort and execution, good technique, training fairly hard, eating fairly well, sleeping fairly well. As long as you are within the spectrum of volume landmarks, if you like, you're doing between 10 and 20 sets per week on average, you're training less than four reps in reserve on average, and your effort and execution is there, you are going to get most of the results you could ever hope to get. If there comes a point where you're like, this isn't working anymore, then it's a case of you have to ask yourself the real question of, am I willing to make the next level of commitment to get the next part of my results? Yeah, cool. Um, I think everyone's focused on 100%. This is what training has to look like to get the best results ever. But then they miss out the facts that you can get pretty much most, if not all of the results you ever would have as a, a non fully competitive aspirational person. Like if your goal is to win the Mr. Olympia, A, you have to have the right parents, but B, you have to do everything that is within your control to maximize your training and recovery to achieve that. If your goal is, I just want to kind of look good at the beach in summer, most of the things we've talked about are completely irrelevant. You need to go to the gym, lift some weights, eat some protein, and potentially monitor your calories if you need to do some body fat. That is it. You are going to be absolutely fine. <laughs> we, we could have like just fast-tracked everything and been like, if you only have this amount of time, skip everything we talk about and just yeah. listen to what says at the end. <laughs> yeah, literally, 100%. It's like most things aren't even a consideration for most people. It's like, I think my kids were talking, I actually put a post about this like yesterday. And it was like, the, the details aren't important until they are. It's yeah. like, you are getting results and kind of you're hitting these big rocks and doing these things well, keep it going. Like you don't have to worry about anything. If you are not getting the results you want, and there is something else you could be doing, the details become important. Like metabolite work, like how often you deload, how many sets, if you progress in sets or not, those things really become important if your goal is to be the best you absolutely can be. Yeah. Um, if your goal isn't to be the absolute best you can be, or your lifestyle physically will not allow you to be the best you could be, 
which is absolutely fine. If you have a CEO job and you are an absolute baller, you're loving life, you go on holiday five, six, seven times a year, you like, you're loving life, you don't need to be jacked, you're fine. Go to the gym, lift some weights, have some fun, you're gonna be absolutely fine. Um, getting massively jacked and training for 15 hours a week is probably not gonna change your life. Um, or am I? Who knows? Who am I? <laughs> If you're, a, if you're a baller and you care that much about putting muscle on, hire someone to do the other stuff for you and then spend that time lifting or prepping your food. Oh my so, God. I, I was, before you get into this last question, this is the funniest, I find this bit really funny. Is I, um, when people post pictures of like celebrities, like before they got really famous and it's like at the bottom, it always just says something like, you're not ugly, you're just poor. As like, I've never seen this. I've yeah. never seen this. It's like, it's like when you see these unbelievable celebrity transformations, it's like, yeah. um, I don't know, it's like they like, when they were like young, they just like, they weren't obviously attractive is a, a, a perceptual thing, but they were like, when they're young, they would consider to not be very attractive. And then they got really rich and now they can pay someone to do their hair perfectly. They've got a makeup artist, they've got a personal trainer, they've got all this stuff. And it's like, but or maybe not the personal training side of things but it's like you're not ugly you just you're just poor it's like because they just bear this perfect perception of like all their photos are airbrushed and their hair's perfect because they get it cut 15 times a week and everything's on fleet they've got a makeup art professional makeup artist every day and they look like this perfect picture of what we consider to be attractive but actually they're not that because if they didn't have all the money to pay all these people to make them look like that they would look like us mortals. They would yeah. look like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just find that really funny. That, that, do you know what? That's really interesting. I've not heard that before, but um, you, it sounded nice. Initially, when you said it, I was like, oh, wow, okay. And then that made sense. I got it. <laughs> so, Jack, if I gave you another two hours to your day, yeah. what would you do with them? Two hours per day. Um, I think now, in this current class, I'm there. I honestly don't know. Okay. I have, compared to what my normal working life is, I now have more time than I know what to do with. Like I'm getting everything done that I need to get done, but there's still so much more time. So I'm able to spread it all out. It feels like I'm doing a lot more than I am because I'm kind of just staying fairly relaxed and just spreading things out and really thinking about things. And I'm prioritizing my training a lot more. And I am trying to maximize my training and nutrition at the minute as much as I possibly can. So I am really focusing on those 1% things in the minute. Like I am maximally progressing my volume up. I'm really tracking every detail. I'm getting like four to six leucine feedings. I'm tracking like how much leucine is in all of the foods that I'm eating and things like that. Um, but I think normal working day when you're, you're getting up at 4.30 to do the, like the 5.45 a.m. class, you're potentially doing an evening class on top of that, and then you're going straight back into a morning um, I think personally, if I was working the way I normally work in like a role as a coach and that's just part of the job, like if you want to work in fitness, you're getting up at four or five o'clock in the morning for your first client. That's just how it is. Um, so ultimately sleep is less than ideal. Some of the time, okay. if I had an extra two hours in the day, I would either be meal prepping or I would be sleeping nice. um, normal day to day. That's what I would be doing. Um, cause it kind of, those two things go hand in hand for me. Like if I'm tired, I'm less likely to meal prep. If I meal prep, I can sleep better because 
I'm I've got food available. Like if I get kind of a couple of days where I've not meal prepped and then I'm having a day where I'm having to cook, but then I also need to meal prep. It's like you're double cooking in a day. And because I'm cooking generally a days or worth day or more worth of food, if I have to do cook twice in a day, that could be like three hours of the day. Yeah, man. So it's like, if you've got these extra two hours, I would probably a hundred percent throw it either before I go to bed or when I first wake up and I would get an extra two hours sleep because if I'm well slept, motivation is so much better for me. It's when sleep gets down, then it's when I'm more likely to make bad decisions. And it's the same for everyone. Like everything comes back down to sleep for the most part. Like if you're really stressed, are you sleeping enough? No. Okay. Go and sleep more and then we'll assess whether you're still stressed. Um, and it's the same for me. Like if I start to get two, three, four days of a 4.45 alarm and I start to get tired, the likelihood of me meal prepping goes down because I'm more likely to go to bed early because I'm tired and I need sleep than to meal prep. And then we get into that cycle of, okay, I've got to cook twice the next day. Oh, but I'm still tired. So I'm going to go to bed early and then, oh, I need to go out and get food from somewhere else. And I don't eat what I'm supposed to eat. And that yeah. has a knock-on effect on my training and that stresses me out. And it's just, it's just this cycle of stemming from my sleep. Like if I don't get the sleep I need, everything else kind of goes to shit. Like I don't train the way I want to train. I don't get to eat foods. I don't necessarily want to eat, but the foods that I need to eat to be in line with my goals. I eat what I like anyway, so I don't really care. But um, yeah, that would 100% be it, sleep. And then if I'm not Very sleeping, good I'm... way to invest your time, man. Uh, yeah. Jack, thank you so much, dude. So many knowledge bombs, so much practical information. And we got to dive into some exciting stuff uh, to talk about as well. Um, I hope it has been an enjoyable experience for you for, to get. Ben. Yeah, absolutely. It's been amazing. I live full on nerd out on this stuff. I was getting like so excited last week. I was like, right, what are all the things you could ask me. And I was like, made loads of notes. And I was like, <laughs> learning those. I was like, watching loads of podcasts that I'd watched before to make sure I wasn't just chatting rubbish. Probably have just chatted rubbish. If I have, <laughs> people need to let me know. So I'm not just like spamming out loads of rubbish information. But I think for the most part, it was okay. But um, yeah, no, it was fun. It's fun, man. Mate, it was amazing. Honestly, loads. You taught me a few things as well, man. Um, so I'm going to throw away the CrossFit mantle and just start um, going back into mesocycles. <laughs> man. Mate, honestly, amazing. Loved it. Thank you so much. Um, no problem at all. Tangents. It makes it like telling a story, but we're being educated as well. Literally, I'm so, I'm so bad for it. I get often... Any, I just get off on tangents really easy. And I'm like, right, what was the actual question? And I try to remember the question. As I'm saying stuff, I'm trying to then remember the question. And then ultimately, I just forget and I just have to ask what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's important. It's because you're passionate about it. I love it. I love it. Jack, I speak on behalf of everyone listening that we are hyper grateful for your evidence-based approach to meeting what I think you've highlighted as a little bit of a gap in the conversation for practical considerations for muscle gain. And by jeepers did you deliver thank you so much there's for anyone listening whether you're training once two three times seven times a week or your considerations are around like maximizing hypertrophy or you just want to be a little bit more efficient in the way you do it or you want to bust some myths and some clear sight through what we do know what the research says and what the leading practitioners are talking about in terms of building muscle jack you've done such an amazing job of bringing that forward and helping digest that for all of us and for that i'm super super grateful um, um, 
there is not enough voices like that and the more you can talk about it the better and i'm gonna be that guy and get you back on to talk about veganism i know that's your favorite thing to do <laughs> thank you everyone for listening it, i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed bending's jack bending jack's ear on that um and if you want to reach out to jack i'll put his instagram handle uh, in the in the um caption for the podcast or the show notes <laughs> goodness what a day! Anyway, have a wonderful rest of the day. You guys stay strong, fit, and well, and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Oh, yeah! Pow!